If you're visiting, you didn't come thinking about an offering, don't think about it now. Uh, we give as part of our worship, so we'll share together. I haven't gone the past couple of weeks. My thanks, Pastor Jim, uh, Pastor Matt, who jumped in those two Sundays. Uh, we were gone a little, some, some vacation time in there, but as well went to our national conference. It's held every two years. This year was held in Spokane, Washington. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but uh, it's always good to be back. A couple of quick things for you. Food truck on Friday night. Um, you're, if you stick with me for the summer, I'm actually going to do a series explaining why we do things like food trucks and all the pieces together. But I want to encourage you, it's the perfect night to invite someone to come for nothing other than let's grab something to eat, let's hear some music, and let's enjoy the night together. That's Friday night. Be aware of that. Be a part of that. Come bring folks. We open up the course of the whole community. It's not our event. We host it, but it's open to everyone. Hopefully, you'll be there as well. I also want to make note of this for you on next Tuesday. Not this coming Tuesday, 13th, but on Tuesday night, the 20th, we're going to have a church-wide meeting. Invite everyone. Uh, be here uh, 6 o'clock Tuesday night on the 20th. You'll, you'll hear more about it next week, and we'll send a blast email. But we want to give some updates for you. We want to give you an update on the sale of the Williston property. We want to give you an update. I just came back from this, the, what we call council, which should be that two year, every two-year gathering with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, our denomination. Going to give you an update of what's happened there and some of the changes happening in our denomination. Uh, and we want to talk to you about future, future steps here. We want to talk about some potential things that you'll be pretty excited about, I think, as far as this building, what we might be looking at doing, changing the lobby, uh, a lot of stuff going on. Love to have you be a part of that meeting on the 20th and also just some general question and answers, give you a chance to, for us to dialogue together. So hopefully you'll be a part of that. And uh, we can spend some time together on that night. And, uh, and so mark it down now. We'll get you more information about it as we get closer to it. There's nothing we're voting on that night. So if you're a voting member, you need not worry about, oh, I better be there. We want you to be there because of the good information. But there's nothing that we're voting on but charting some direction together and some strategic plan. Love to have you be a part of it. This morning, I want to take a few minutes. I want to look at the issue of faith. This morning, a kind of a standalone sermon on the issue of faith. Next week will be Father's Day. We'll be uh, looking on a kind of a Father's Day theme. Then after that, hope you'll stick with me for a couple weeks this summer. We're going to talk about a bigger picture as to the church, why we exist, why we do what we do. It'll actually help put in, in context many of the events that we'll do and how you can be a part of all of that. But this morning, let's talk about faith. Uh, what it means to have faith in your life, what it means to be people of faith. Now, some of this is stuff that I've been thinking about for some time, for quite a while, uh, and that I have in different times struggled with in my life, and my expectation would be that you'll relate to some of this stuff, because I think we struggle together. But I also popped up when we were talking about anxiety and worry. One of the things we said in, the, in our series on worry, it was this, anxiety and worry are actually trust issues, they're faith issues. And that's true, that the bottom line is, if I'm anxious about something, if I'm worried about something to the place where it be, you know, occupies my life, it means that I don't have enough faith in God uh, for that moment. So there is a faith issue. Now, as soon as I say that, 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 it's kind of a tough statement to make. Because what happens for most of us is most of us will have moments of worry. We have moments of anxiousness. So you hear the words, worry or anxiousness is a faith issue. All of a sudden you can say, oh, what a hopeless person I am. And I have no faith. And that's not really the intent, but it's easy to get that. And I've heard from some of you that you struggle with anxiousness. And so are you really weak in your faith and all those kind of things. Now, I would say this to you, that it is a faith issue. 
And I think there are some issues to look at with that, but also to say that perhaps for some of us, the issue of feeling like we really don't measure up with our faith, maybe for some of us, we have a distorted view of what faith looks like. A very distorted view. In fact, I find that many Christians have a very distorted view of what it means to be walking in a faith-filled life. Now, realistically, there are two different kinds of, of, of terms in this idea of faith-filled life. There's a, the, the idea of faith outside of the church and the idea of faith inside of the church. Now, outside the church, it's straightforward. When you say to someone, what's your faith? What faith are you? It's kind of a generic statement that says what? Well, what church do you go to? Are you, you, know, you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Jewish? What's your faith? That's kind of a generic statement. That's pretty straightforward. But in the church, it gets a little more complex, Because in the church, we start talking about faith, and then we start talking more about how we measure up. We have strong faith or weak faith. Are we really faithful and believing in God, and we believe for the impossible things, or are we a little weak in our faith? What's interesting, a number of years ago, I was reading this survey, and the survey of church people found that the typical church person does not see themselves as strong in their faith, not giants of faith, but see themselves as weak in their faith. Most Christians don't see themselves as giants of faith, but see themselves as more weak in faith. However, they also saw themselves compared to other people, and they saw other people as being stronger in faith than they were. And I think that that's probably true because I have felt the same way. So a lot of Christians struggle with this issue of what it means to have faith, what it means to trust in God, and what it means to really be a faithful person. Now, maybe part of the issue is a poor understanding of what real faith looks like. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, my, top, my, my theme this morning and my, my uh, title is real faith is, well, real. Real faith is actually real. And I have found that a lot of Christians f- kind of create a fake sense of faith. We're going to talk about the reality of faith. To do that, I want to look at a guy who had incredible faith. A guy in scripture who was known for an incredibly strong faith, in fact, so strong with his faith that Jesus actually looked at him, and his name is Peter, looked at Peter at one point and said this, Peter, you are a rock. I mean, you've got this rock solid faith, faith like yours, I'm going to build my church. Huge statement. And if you go forward in the story of Peter, you will find that Peter has these incredible moments of faith. I mean, his first sermon was incredible. So you see these incredible moments along the way. Now, Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus. I mean, he had a real faith. And by real faith, I'm going to begin right from the beginning defining it a little bit differently. By real faith, I mean this. Peter had great highs and he had painful lows. Already I can relate to him. How about you? He had great highs, but he had horrible lows. So from Peter's life, I want to look at what real faith looks like, and I want you to consider your faith, and I want you to measure your faith as you compare it to some of the things that we'll learn from Peter. Now, I could look at numbers of areas in Peter's life this morning, but what I'm going to do is I'm actually just going to look at seven. Now, I shouldn't have told you that because some of you are already going, oh, seven, three minutes apiece, it's 21, you know. (laughs) So one, I'm offended by you even thinking that. Number two, you're going to try to use it as a a countdown clock. So don't, just try to stick with me along the way if you would. 
Now, I'll be looking at a number of different Bible stories, so you do have to stick with me because I can't possibly give you, you know, all these different stories and read them all. I'm going to tell you the story and then get to the verse that we need to apply that I want you to kind of look at your life in light of Peter's faith. So the first story in the life of Peter and Jesus is when we have the first accounting, first recorded account of a personal interaction with Jesus and Peter. We believe that Peter knew who Jesus was. We believe that he may have already heard of him, perhaps even heard him preach and speak. But now we have a recorded first interaction with Peter and Jesus. Here's the background. Peter's a professional fisherman. He fishes in the Sea of Galilee. Please know this was not a hobby. He had a fishing boat. He had a, a teammates that had fishing boats. When they were fishing, they weren't fishing for fun. They were fishing for their, for their life support. They would get their fish. They'd take it to market and sell it. Peter's out fishing one night. He goes out. He fishes. They spent the night fishing. They didn't catch a thing. Completely skunked. Not a fish. I feel good about that already because when I fish, I have a similar experience usually. And I, and I hate the fact that I go with people who are fishermen and they always say this, oh, you should have been here yesterday. We were catching fish yesterday. You know, or they'll say, it's supposed to be really good fishing tomorrow. You know, well, I'm here today and I got nothing. So I like the fact that Peter comes back with nothing. Just makes me feel good about myself. So he's on shore. They've been out all night. They're cleaning their nets. Jesus is teaching another day with Jesus' life where he just walks about and the people follow him and ask questions and he teaches them. Jesus walking along the shores of Galilee comes up to where Peter is cleaning his nets. Apparently Peter's done washing his nets, tosses them into the boat and Jesus walks up to Peter and says, hey, I'm going to jump in your boat, put out a little ways for me. A masterful move, right? If you know anything about sound and acoustics, great move. Jesus gets in the boat. Picture it. He's sitting in the boat. Peter keeps the boat just offshore. And you all know how this works, the acoustics of the water. If you've ever ever been to the lake, you hear someone out on the lake and you hear every word they say because it's a flat surface. And so you imagine Jesus sits, sits there talking in a soft, regular voice. Hundreds of people on the shore hear him. He gets done. I, I think in color. So I think, how do you end that? You know, you get all done, you go, okay, done. You know, go away, how do you end it? But he's done, and he looks to Peter and he says, come on, we're already out here, why don't you put out a little ways in the deeper water and let's go fishing. Peter immediately goes, well, we've done that already. In fact, Jesus, just so you know, I've been out all night. We've been out all night fishing and we haven't caught one thing. But then Peter says this, but you know what? Because you're asking, we'll do it. Now, here's what comes into play. We don't know if he had had interaction with Peter beforehand, uh, meaning we don't know if Peter heard him speak before or not. It may have been that all Peter's listening to was that moment that he's in the boat with Jesus while Jesus is teaching. So that's maybe his moment. But for whatever the case, Jesus says, why don't you go out and put your net down? And Peter goes, okay, because you're asking. You know the story. They go out, throws his net down. The net is so full, the net is breaking. Peter yells for his teammates to come out. They get in their boat. They come out. The group of them together fight all these fish and get the fish in the boats. And here's what the Bible says about it. It says that there's so many fish that the boats begin to sink. I got to tell you, as a fisherman, that's a good day. I mean, I come back and I have a story to say, we got so many fish, the boat sank. Now, normally you would think sinking boat, not a good thing, but when it's full of fish, that's a good thing. Now, here's the thing. Catch this. When you're catching fish, all you care about in that moment is the fish. When I have been fishing and I get a fish on the line, I don't care about anyone else in the boat. It's all about my fish. The rest of you get your line out. I get a mess. Somebody get a net. Yeah, it's all about get me this fish. 
And so here's what happens. They get all the fish in, and after all of the excitement of the fish, fishing is over, after all that excitement of the catch of a lifetime, here's what happens in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. And when Simon Peter saw this, what did he see? He saw a boat full of fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Let me give you the first trait of real faith. Real faith includes times of feeling totally unworthy with God. Real faith includes feeling totally unworthy in God's presence. If you think that having a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you think that having faith makes you feel like God's my buddy, God's my pal, God's my bro, I would say not quite. Now here's the beauty. Jesus says to us, I consider you my friends. God of the universe says, I'm going to be your heavenly father. You don't have to be afraid of me. Now that's an incredible invitation by God. But I would also say to you that in the moment that we actually see who God is, we will feel unworthy. Real faith always leaves us feeling unworthy in the presence of God. Peter sees a great miracle, and his first response is to say, whoa, I can't even be in this boat with you. Knowing Peter's sister, I'm surprised he didn't jump in, because that's kind of his reaction. I can't even be in this boat with you. I mean, you, I am so not worthy to be in your presence. If you've ever felt that way, welcome to the family of faith. Look through the pages of Scripture. Look at all the great characters of Scripture. Go to the Old Testament, Moses, Isaiah, New Testament, Mary, Apostle Paul, Peter. Pick your person. Every single one of them that have a genuine meeting with God fall on their face and feel absolutely unworthy. A feeling that goes, man, he's God and I'm not. He is holy and I'm not. He's clean. I am dirty. He is powerful. I am nothing. All of those are honest moments with God. One of the first traits of a person with faith is that feeling of unworthiness. Now, as a person who has had a lifetime struggle, listen carefully, as a person who has had a lifetime struggle with feelings of insecurity, yes, I have struggled my whole life with feelings of insecurity. I know what you're thinking. You think, I know, Scott, but with your good looks and personality, how can you, <laughs> how could you struggle with insecurity? Trust me, my whole life, listen carefully, as one who has struggled with insecurity, here's my advice. Do not try to feel worthy of God's presence because the harder you try, the less worthy you will feel. Now, some of us will go, really? Well, how does that work? Here's how it works. The harder I try to convince myself that I'm worthy, the more I look at myself, and the more I look at myself, the more I realize I really am not worthy. So don't try to make yourself worthy. So you say, well, you say, well what do I do then? You just accept the fact that Jesus has invited you in, period. You just accept that. You just accept the fact that he's the one who makes you worthy. You accept the fact that he has invited you to walk with him. That's it. Don't try to make yourself more worthy than you are because you're just going to feel worse about it. 
Just accept the fact that the God of all creation, the Holy One, looks at you and says, come walk with me. One of the first signs of real faith is having feelings of unworthiness in God's presence. Let me give you a second one that real faith includes. Second thing that real faith includes is this. Doubt, even at life's greatest moments of triumph. Real faith experiences moments of deep doubt. Anybody here kind of go, I don't. I don't know if I can believe all this. I, I got some pretty doubtful moments. Even in the place of great triumph, real faith. It happened to Peter. Another story from Peter's life is in Matthew chapter 14. Very famous story from Peter's life that any kid in a Sunday school class or, a student, or a children's ministry class will recall the story. The disciples are in a boat. They're in the boat all night. They'd been in the boat earlier. We believe they got in the boat. We're heading the other side. But the winds came, so it stranded them on the water all night long. The next morning, near dawn, it's still dark out, Jesus walks on the water out to them. Now remember that it's dark enough, they can't see that it's Jesus, they just see a figure walking toward them. I love the fact that they have a dialogue together and they all agree it's a ghost. I don't know why, but I feel good about that. That they look at it and they go, ah, there's a ghost. And so Jesus gets closer, and he knows they're afraid. My guess is they're probably screaming at this ghost, get away, get away, I don't know what. And Jesus speaks to them, and he says this, don't be afraid, it is I. It's me, you know me. Now, what's interesting in the story, it's still dark enough that they can't see who it is, but they recognize the voice. So Peter then says something, which I've always thought, admittedly, for, I mean, since I can, as long as I can remember, thought was an odd thing. Peter says, well, Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come out and meet you on the water. Now, the reason it gets odd is because even if it was a ghost, if I'm the ghost, I would have fun with this. Yeah, come on out anyway. doesn't matter who's out there, you're going to say, come on out. How fun to watch the guy sink. So, but Peter places all this and God says, if it's really you, Jesus, you tell me to come out. And Jesus says, come out. And so, yeah, I love the story. So Peter says, okay. Peter goes, all right. And so Peter gets over the side, steps on top of the water, and begins his walk over the side of the boat. And he actually starts walking towards Jesus. And just so you know, he had to walk some distance because later when he begins to go under, he doesn't just grab the boat. You see, for any one of us, what do we do? I get off and I stand there, and Jesus says, come out to me. And I'm going to stand right here with the boat. But he walks out, and so he's out far enough away from the boat. Peter walks on water. This is an incredible moment. Peter's walking on water. This is his high point. He's never walked on water before. None of the others had walked on water. They were back in the boat. This was his moment. This was his high point, mountaintop. Here's what happens in, verse, in chapter 14, verse 30 of Matthew. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. So here's Peter. Everyone else is safe in the boat, but Peter's walking on water. Did you ever walk on water? Anybody here ever walk on water? <laughs> I did once. Very exciting. Uh, I was water skiing. And the, the boat was probably going a little faster than it should, about 35 miles an hour. And both of my skis hit a wave at the wrong time. My feet popped out. And they, my kids tell me that for at least 25 to 30 yards, my little feet ran right on top of that water as fast as I could. <laughs> and then I hit with a crash. Um, 
Truth of it is, folks, we've not done it. Truth is, no one has ever walked on water except for Peter, besides Jesus. That's a pretty good claim to fame right there. No one's ever done it but Peter. This is his greatest moment of triumph, and in that moment, he looks at the wrong thing. It's really an incredible moment. In that moment, instead of looking at Jesus, he notices the waves. He notices the wind, and down he goes. Now, this is actually really interesting because it says he takes these steps, and then he notices the wind and the, the waves. But what's interesting, the wind and the waves didn't just show up. They'd been there the whole time. I mean, that's why they were stuck out there and couldn't get in because it had been a windy night. So what's interesting, he all of a sudden sees that which has been present the entire time. And it's in that moment that he begins to sink. I would say this, real faith still gets distracted. And real faith even at times becomes afraid. And now catch this next statement. Peter, sinking with fear, still had more faith than the rest of them who were in the boat. Peter, you know, and I've heard this before, well, Peter had more faith walking on the water than hiding in the boat. But here's what really encouraged me. Peter going under the water had more faith than the people in the boat. It's pretty encouraging, don't you think, for those of us who have been sinking in some of the issues of life? Even greater faith than those in the boat. And a side tip for you, when you find yourself in those moments at the very high point, when doubt comes in and you find yourself sinking, what do you do? You do exactly what Peter did. You just say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I would suggest to you that when you find yourself sinking in your faith, don't try to fake faith. A lot of Christians do that. We got to keep the face on, you know, so we try to fake faith. Imagine Peter. Peter, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I just want to feel temperature of the water. Don't fake faith. Lord, I need your help, and I need it right now. Let me give you the next one. I love this one. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's been telling them that the day is coming when he's going to die. Having this discussion with them, and he's kind of bringing them to speed. He says, specifically, the day is coming where I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to be put to death. And he explains that all this has to happen. This is all part of God's plan. So Peter pulls him aside for a private conversation. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Lord, I mean, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter has something he wants to say to Jesus, says it, and Jesus' response is he calls Peter Satan. If you don't know, that's not a good day. When Jesus Christ, the holiest man who's ever lived, the Son of God, looks at you and says, you remind me of Satan, that's just not a good statement to have to be told to you. But that's what he says to Peter. Let me give you the third thing that faith, real faith has as a part of its mix. Sometimes really faithful people say stupid things that sound spiritual and are actually very wrong. If you've ever find yourself saying or believing some kind of dumb thing later, you realize, well, how did I ever get there? Please know, still have faith. 
Because really faithful people can say really dumb things. Peter pulls Jesus aside. I like this. Jesus, can I talk to you in private? And Jesus goes, yeah, what's up? Well, I just, I want to pull you aside because I don't want to do this publicly. I mean, I have, enough res- I have enough respect for you that I didn't want to embarrass you in front of everybody. But I have to tell you something right now. You've got to stop this negative talk. This negative talk, it's not helpful. It's not helpful to the guys. We, sh- we don't need to hear things. But you've got to stop this negativity. It's not helping you, Jesus. I mean, I, I want to encourage you here, and that is this. You've got to start, you've got to switch, you know, turn the gear, right? hit the switch, and turn around, and you've got to start thinking positive thoughts. Where's your faith? I've got to tell you, friends, we've had those conversations with people. You know, you've got to stop that negative thought. He pulls them aside and has this nice little talk with Jesus. And then on top of that, he says, but most importantly, Jesus, just so you know, never going to happen to you. Have a little more faith, it will never happen to you. Sounded so good. It sounds so spiritual, but it was so wrong. Now, as one who has preaching and teaching gifts, as one who does counseling and one who has been sought out at times in my life for spiritual direction, I know how easy it is to say something that sounds really spiritual but can be really, really wrong. As someone who has been in countless situations where you're not exactly sure what to say and you really want to say something that's helpful, I can tell you it's really hard at times just to not speak when what you want to say might do damage. It's amazing how many bad things Christians can say. I'll give you a couple of them, like this one. All you need is a little faith. All you need is a little faith. Or this kind of statement, if you had enough faith... If you had enough faith, I believe it, God would heal you. If you had enough faith, you could have that baby. If you had enough faith, you know, you could, you could get that, that, that money that you need. If you had enough faith, you could get that job. Those things are not only not true, they're hurtful. I was at a church conference. There was a church came around the corner. A guy in a wheelchair, been in a wheelchair for a year. There's a church group out there that's really big into signs and wonders, and, and it's a whole thing about, you know, claim it and faith, whatever. Came around the corner. Here's a guy in a wheelchair who'd been in a wheelchair for years. I knew his story. I come around the corner, and here's a person at this gathering grabbing his arm, trying to help him out of the wheelchair, saying to him, if you have enough faith, you don't have to be in this wheelchair. You can walk. Man, I was livid. Now, some of you might say, well, whoa, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say if you have enough faith? No, it does not. It is never. The Bible's never said that it's simply a matter of faith or having enough faith or more faith. I mean, remember this? Jesus said this. You want to see real miracles. All you have to do is have faith the size of what? Mustard seed. Anyone seen a mustard seed? You know how small that is? First of all, I would say every Christian I know has got that much faith. It's really tiny. I've got more faith than that every time I get out of the chair and and believe I'm not going to trip in my next step. And as I get older, I need more and more faith. I need a couple more mustard seeds along the way. I've got that much faith. Every Christian I know has got that much faith. It's never been about getting more faith along the way. The Apostle Paul, how do you deal with that one? Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, I prayed three times. I prayed three times for God to take this away. I want someone to go to Paul and say, oh, brother, I love you, but you don't have the faith. I love you, but if you just had a little more faith, God would heal that. No, that's not it. God doesn't say that one, doesn't say this one either. Everything happens for a reason. Now, there's some truth to the, con- the, the context of that, 
But please, you know someone going through a difficult time, do not say to them, well, everything happens for a reason. Now, I get what you're trying to say. You're trying to say this. God is so powerful that even in a world where we can't make sense of how things go, God somehow will oversee this, and he has a way of bringing good out of the worst. But please don't tell someone going through a tragic moment, everything happens for a reason. Or this one, don't use this one either. God never gives us more than we can handle. Please don't say that to a drowning person. God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, you went under it. Pop back up here, God, finish the statement. Don't say that. See, we usually say those things because we feel that we have to say something to defend God or somehow to comfort people, but we don't know exactly what to say. Let me tell you what to say the next time you have that feeling. I've got to say something to defend God. I've got to say something to encourage him. Say this, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to stand right here with you. What else can I do? Anything? Just leave it with that. So I would say this, faithful people can, be, can mean well and still get it really wrong in what we say. Let me give you a fourth truth about faith. Fourth truth is this. Now this is going to rock some of you a little bit. Simple faith is better than profound faith. Simple faith is better than profound faith. Folks, simple faith is better. But a lot of people would say this, I want to trust God for the big thing. You'll hear a lot of sermons, you'll hear a lot of preaching. I've done some of them where you get together, I'm going to talk about faith today. I'm going to talk to you about grabbing the impossible, grabbing the thing that you never dreamed possible. You're going to grab a hold of God and you're going to believe him and God's going to do the supernatural. Simple faith is better. Simple faith is better. Simple faith is easier. Simple faith leads to bigger faith. Simple faith leads to profound faith. Simple faith unlocks the doors to the unbelievable. And it's just simple. Storyline, Jesus is on a long walk to a place in the northern part of Israel by the Golan Heights, and it's called Caesarea Philippi. Anyone who might be going to Israel with me this year, we're going to go to the Golan Heights area to a place called Banias, Caesarea Philippi. It's a gorgeous site. You, now today, you're going to drive through fenced areas that say minefields, don't go in. Don't be alarmed, we're not going to go in. Uh, minefields that say, don't go in. And then you come to a gate because it's now a park that's preserved by Israel. And you go through this gate and you come to this area. Here's this mountain. And from the base of the mountain flows crystal clear, fresh water that's been flowing there for years and runs out. And you can imagine in the middle of, in the, middle of the Middle East, walking to this site and it is just gorgeous. In the day that Jesus was taking his disciples there, this was not a place, it was still beautiful, but now it was a place of the worship of a God named Pan. It was pagan worship. And people would flock there to worship their pagan gods. And it's with this backdrop that Jesus says to his disciples this. He said, listen, guys, you're out in the streets with people. And I know that when I'm out there, they don't quite say the same things they say when you're there. So he says, so what do people say about me? Who do people think that I am? I know there's a stir about that. Who do people think that I am? And they were quick to answer. They said, well, some of you think that you're like a dead prophet come back to life. Maybe you're Jeremiah. Maybe you're Elijah. Someone else said, uh, some people think that you're uh, John the Baptist. And so Jesus hears them reflect what other people have said. And then he says to them, well, how about you? Uh, you know, forget what they think. Who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
Peter answers immediately for the group, and he says this, uh, Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, what's interesting, if we could pull it apart in the Greek, you would see that when Peter says you're the Messiah, you could take his whole statement and sum it down to a simple statement. He's saying you're the one. That's all he's saying, you're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one we've been dreaming of. You're the one we've been waiting for thousands of years. When he says you're the Messiah, Son of the living God, summarize the simple statement, he goes, well, who are you? You're, you're the one. I would suggest to you that it doesn't get any simpler than that. He doesn't define the whole lineage of David in the history. He goes, who are you? You're it. You're the one. And then Jesus says to Peter, that's the kind of faith I'm going to build my church on right there. A simple faith that simply believes I'm it. And I'm going to build my church on your kind of faith, Peter. Friends, simple faith is the key, hear me, to life-changing moments. Some of you go through your life waiting for God to do some big miraculous thing in your life. I would suggest just be faithful in the simple things. And the big moments come. Simple faith is where it's at. You know the Peter story. He, he simply says that moment, you're it, you're the one. Go ahead and read ahead. Peter's preaching his first sermon. The first sermon ever preached in church Peter's preaching it. It's about as simple a sermon you'll ever find. He just tells the story of Jesus. When he gets done, over 3,000 people say, how do we follow Jesus? Tell us what to do next. Absolutely profound. Simple, simple message. Simple words, simple faith, 3,000 people. Now, some of you ought to be thinking, but that's not my story, Scott. I got a simple faith. I've been telling people, I can't even tell you three people let alone 3,000 people. 3,000 might not be your story. I'll tell you about my dad. I've used him before, but I'll just remind you a couple things if you've heard him before. My mom and dad, but specifically my dad, was probably the most simple guy I'd ever met. Really, really simple. Now, please know he's not stupid. He was not stupid, but really, really simple. Very straightforward guy and simple in his faith. If the Bible said to do something, my dad would just go, okay, I'll just do it. So he comes to Jesus, he's in Bible study, and they're teaching things along the way, and the Bible says, you should serve other people. And my dad would just go, oh, okay. So my dad, for his whole lifetime, served in the church. Served in the church. I can't remember a time when he wasn't serving. Always serving in some ministry, some place, something. Always served. Because the church said, because the Bible said to serve, and so he just went, okay, and he served. Bible said you should give your offerings to, to, to the church for the work of the ministry. And he didn't just say, okay, he said, how much? And somebody would have said to him, well, Bible teach the principle of tithing. What's that mean? 10%. He went, okay. And so he just did it. 10%. I was a kid growing up, and my dad got paid on Mondays, and he'd bring his paycheck home. And if you looked in the, the door that was kind of closed, never tight, but if you looked in the door and watched him, he'd be on his knees. He wasn't praying, not yet. He'd be on his knees because he'd have a chair, and he'd have his check cash, and on his bed, there'd be the grocery money, there'd be the gas money for the car, but the first pile was, this is, the, this is my offering for church. He did that every single week. But when he got done, he prayed over it. But he did it every week. Why? Because the Bible said so. The uh, Bible said, you should love your neighbors. So my dad said, okay. 
didn't matter their political background, didn't matter their lifestyle, that just said, love your neighbors, and so dad just loved our neighbors. You need to know that simple faith is actually incredibly profound faith. It has incredible results. So the Bible said, serve. My dad served, but you know what? My dad was never a great leader. My dad never served and led hundreds of people, thousands of people, never led a very big group. He just served. But you know what he had his whole life in the church? Belonging. See, some of you don't serve anywhere. You come on Sunday, which we're glad to have you, but you say, oh, I'd, I wish I belonged. Serve. My dad, his whole life, always had belonging because he always served with people. My dad was never rich. We were never rich. He gave his, his money 10%, gave to missions. We were never rich. But you know what? We never went without. I was, I was a kid. I didn't know that we didn't have much money because we always had enough money. And we always had enough. And on top of that, my dad would say later, he always slept well at night. Some of you sleeping real well at night with the financial situation you're in? I would, if I was doing an ad today, I would say, sleep well at night. Priceless. He did. I would say this to you, my dad never led 3,000 people to Jesus. I would say this, but the people who knew my dad had a more favorable impression of Jesus because he simply loved people. So simple faith is powerful. Simple faith is actually the most powerful faith you can have. And people of faith have simple faith. Let me give you a fifth thing, and the fifth thing is this. This is going to be a real encouragement to you. Fifth one is really encouraging. Once again, Jesus is teaching. And while he's teaching, Peter, Peter comes up and says, I got a question for you, Jesus. His question is this in Matthew 18, 21. Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? How many times will I have to forgive? Now, immediately we should say, well, why is Peter asking that question? You know why, right? Because people around him are annoying him. That's why. You say, how do we know that? Because people are annoying. That's how we know that. Because that's the nature of relationships, right? Now, Jesus had been talking about some things that would maybe prompt the question, but we look at this, we think, what would prompt Peter's statement? He would prompt it is he's around people, and whenever you're around people and with people, you're going to bang heads. You're not going to necessarily get, a, get along. So let me give you the fifth truth about faith, which is really encouraging, and that is this. People of faith still have relationship issues. People of faith still have relationship problems. People of faith don't always get along with other people of faith or with other people, period. And people of faith aren't always loved by everyone. You see, having faith and having great faith does not take the struggles out of your marriage. Doesn't make, does make a, a marriage bulletproof. Having faith doesn't make your kids perfect and doesn't make your relationship with your kids perfect. Having great faith doesn't mean that all your relationships are going to be perfect and fine and kind and nice. You're still going to bang heads with people. Good night. Jesus' disciples, and they were his disciples, his closest followers, and they were always arguing with each other who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This was not a rhetorical question that Peter was asking. Peter's asking it because relationships are issues. Faith-filled people realize that people are still a problem. Let me give you a quick story. This past two weeks, we've gone. Yes, we were at our national meeting in Spokane, Washington, but we had some vacation time in there, and we actually spent some time with Tom and Chris Flanders. The Flanders are our former district superintendent, 
Some of you remember them. He's been here preaching numbers of times. He was back here in March. Now, when I got my doctorate, he came and preached. So they've been good, good friends with us for some time. In fact, a number of years ago, five years ago, four years ago, um, Diane and I and Tom and Chris, the four of us, did a trip to Europe. I was doing a, a pre- precursor trip to get ready to lead trips over there, the Protestant Reformation. And so we had them come with us. So the four of us were on this trip. I planned everything. I planned where we went. I planned where we stopped. I planned where we ate. I planned everything. All I had to do was show up. And we had with 10 days and we had like nine perfect days. And comes the last day, we had just finished lunch, catch this, on a rooftop hotel overlooking Rome. I set that up. (laughs) Overlooking Rome. No one else is there. And we get done, we're going to leave lunch, and we're going to go to the Spanish Steps. If you think about Rome, we walk out, I talk to the guy, I say, now which way the Spanish Steps? He says, turn right, and you'll go right to him. I heard left, so we go left. So I'm leading us left, and we're going left for a little while, and pretty soon there's murmuring and there's complaining about the tour leader. (laughs) And they're grumbling and complaining, and it's kind of building and building. In fact, at one point we stop, and the epitome of this is we stop and there's grumbling and complaining, and where we stop to complain is actually in front of a leather shop, because we're not talking about like the ghetto streets of Rome, we're talking about nice streets that we're on, and while they're grumbling and complaining, they're actually in the store. The wives come out with purses. Tom comes out with a leather belt. And then they pick up where they left off saying, hey, you're in the wrong direction. Now, they may have said more like they were bothered with my attitude, but I don't think that could be it. <laughs> so we get done with this trip. And now, um, this is back in March. And they invite us to go say, hey, would you be willing to go a couple days ahead? We'll go to Yellowstone. You know, we'll land in Jackson. We'll work our way through Yellowstone up to Spokane. I, that'd be kind of nice. They had already had it all set up. So I said, yeah, Diane and I are in. He goes, great. Would you, would you lead it? I said, well, I thought this was your trip. He goes, truth, I'm just talking. I don't know anything about it. I, I listed a bunch of names, Billings and Boise and other places started with B. Um, he goes, but I don't have any plan. You lead it and take charge. So I go, no way. I go, I've got experience with you all. So I set up a Zoom meeting. This is March. A Zoom meeting, the four of us. My wife and I are in the same house, and we're on two different Zooms. Dan goes, why can't we be in the same Zoom? Because we can't. You go in one room, I'm going to be in the other room. And we have a Zoom meeting with four people. So I go through with them. I'm going, listen, you want me to lead? I got a bad experience with you all. So the only reason, the only way I lead is I'm having a contract drawn up. And you're signing the contract. No, we're not going to sign the contract. Well, then I'm not leading the trip. It's really crazy. So I finally get them to go, okay. I go, okay. They think I'm joking. So I drop a contract. I have my legal people go over it. <laughs> Ironclad. We meet up in the airport. We're meeting their first time. We're all there. They want to go to the car. I go, no, we're not going to the car. We're standing in the middle of the airport. And I pull out my little file. I have copies for each one, the contract. <laughs> I hand each one a copy of their contract. It's very thorough. And I go, so we're going to sign the contract before we get in the car. So they're reading it. Now, the first part of the contract, I've covered every possible issue that I'm in charge. I will be in charge of the music, of the stops. You're not going to tell me my wipers are on. You're not going to tell me to turn my wipers off. You're not going to tell me park here. You missed that parking space. You're not going to say turn left. I mean, I went through, I went through like a hundred things. I've covered every possible thing that you can complain about and said you're not going to do that. And then I took the liberty, because I know each of them personally, I defined each one a specific contract catered specifically to them. I said, Tom hereby agrees to not be annoying. 
He's incredibly annoying on a trip. He talks and talks and talks and talks. So I said, you agree to be annoying. And I said, Tom, do you think that's true? He goes, oh, it's true. So he signs. Comes to Chris, his wife. I said, Chris, you agree not to follow the negativity of others. Because she's a follower. She'll say that. She tries to be Switzerland, be neutral. She's not neutral. In Rome, when they turned on me, she was right there with them. So I said, you have to agree to not go with the crowd. She signs. Then comes my wife, Diane. <laughs> I know her a little better. I have a little more in her paragraph. <laughs> I should say, first of all, you have to agree not to try to take charge from the leader. Second of all, which is very critical, you cannot lead an insurrection against the leader. <laughs> we get done. And they're all going, okay, we'll sign. Diane goes, I'm not sure I'm going to sign. <laughs> and I say to all of them, just so you know, you don't sign, you're not getting in the rental car. She goes, fine. And so she puts an X on it. Just an X. I go, you know what? I've watched Judge Judy too, and Judge Judy says that X counts. <laughs> so they got in the car, and we go on the trip. I'll just leave the rest of that there. Here's my point. Don't you wish in all of your difficult relationships you could just have a contract and say to them, here's how you're going to behave around me. But you can't. And if I ask you right now to raise your hand, I won't, but if I ask you right now, how many would say that you know at least a person, if not a dozen of people, that you just bang your head against? Everybody in the room would go, yep, got them. And then if I said, how many would say that person sitting beside you, you'd say, I'm not raising my hand on that one. <laughs> people hear this. People of faith still have relationship issues. And that doesn't mean that you're faithless. Not at all. Number six is really straightforward. Jesus tells his disciples on the night of, the, of his betrayal, on the night of his arrest, they're having dinner, and he says to them, the time is coming where you're all going to abandon me, every one of you. Peter says, you know the story. Peter goes, no, never. Never. And they go, well, they might, but not me. I will not. And then Jesus says, yes, Peter, even you. You are going to abandon me, but even you, Peter, are going to deny you even know me. Three times you're going to deny me before morning comes. The night goes on, they arrest Jesus. They take him to the house of Caiaphas, which is the high priest. Peter follows at a distance. He's in the courtyard of the high priest, and the soldiers build a fire so they can stay warm. And Peter's gathered around the fire three different times. And one time was a little girl. A little maiden girl looks at Peter around the fire with the soldiers and says, hey, you're one of them. And he goes, no, I'm not. I don't even know the guy. And on the third time, the last time he says he doesn't even know Jesus, Jesus is still present. And he looks up from saying that, and Jesus is looking at him to make eye contact. And the scripture says that at that moment, Peter remembers what Jesus had said, remembered Jesus' words. And Peter got up and ran away, ran out of the courtyard, weeping and crying. Let me give you the sixth thing about faith. Even people of faith have failures that they never thought was possible of them. Right? Even people of faith have failures that if you'd asked them the year earlier or early in their walk, they would say, not me, never. The others maybe, but not me. Some action, some area, some decision, some attitude, some words 
when you put your head down in shame and you say, man, how could I? Listen carefully, friends. There isn't a faith-filled person in this room or watching at North Ave or watching on a screen somewhere. There isn't a faith-filled person who hasn't had in their life at least one, if not hundreds, of catastrophic failures because they've just flat out sinned and did it wrong. When Jesus was having dinner with them and he told Peter that you indeed, you will indeed abandon me, you're going to deny knowing me, Jesus said something to Peter that was absolutely powerful. And he says it to us and I think we miss it. Here's what happens. Luke chapter 22 verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. In fact, one, per, one passage says, I have prayed that your faith would, would, would remain strong. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's actually so profound. Make sure you don't miss it. Here's what's important about it. You see, we define strong faith as never failing. That is not how Jesus defined it. If you could break down the exact Greek that was used there in Jesus' words, the statement of strong faith was not failing. The statement of, and the sign of strong faith was what? Was returning. He says, listen, I'm going to pray that your faith remains strong. And guess what? It did. He said, I'm going to pray that your faith is strong so that when you, when you, after you get done failing, you get back. You see, friends, we measure our strong faith by having never failed. That's the wrong measurement. The right measurement is when you have failed, do you get back in? Lord, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would be strong and the sign of strong faith is getting back in the game. These last ones are really short. Let's see, number seven, last one. Faith gets to a point and gets to be a part of a thing. At some point in time in the the process, faith gets to be a part of things beyond your wildest dreams. People of faith get to be a part of something bigger than you ever dreamed possible. Peter went from dismal failure to witnessing the resurrection to the place where he preaches his first sermon and 3,000 people follow Jesus. And then he sees the birth of the church. Faith people get to be a part of something that's bigger than you ever dreamed. Do you realize that you get to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ? You gathered here. You might think, oh, it's just another Sunday here at my local church. No, no. You get to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. His church going strong for 2,000 years. And his church that will keep going strong right to the place of eternity forever with Jesus. Now look at me, I want some eye contact here. And I mean this so sincerely. We've been gone the past couple weeks. I miss you when I'm gone. You may not miss me, I miss you. When I walk in here on Sundays, and I mean this so sincerely, and I see you, even though I don't know you all by name. When I come in here on a Sunday and I see you, I think to myself, oh God, you have made me and allowed me to be a part of something so much bigger than me. Look at these people. And I get to be a part of your church. 
some of you that are so convinced that this world is a mess and this world's going to hell in a handbasket and some of you are so caught up in all this whole, whole terrible world in which we live, just look around you and realize the church wins. And look around you and realize every single Sunday you get to be a part of something that's bigger than you ever could have dreamed. You get to be a part of something that's been going on for thousands of years and is going to keep going strong right to the place of eternity with Jesus Christ. Faith people get to be a part of something bigger they could possibly do themselves. Now, I'd love to end the story right there. I, I didn't really lie. I told you there were seven things. There's actually eight but I figure if I told you eight, you'd be counting. So right now you're relieved that you got one more to go. I know that's horrible of me. It wasn't my idea. It was Cam Bushy, our tech guy. He's, he's the one who said to do it. I didn't agree with it, but I thought, eh, sure, give it a go. Anyway, seriously, it'd be fun to end right there because it's a high. But don't forget, real faith is real. So here's the last one, the eighth one, if you will. And this is the final one. Um, here's what the apostle Paul coming on the scene, says about Peter in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, our last verse. When Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I told him face to face that he was wrong. Peter's got this great success story, and he comes to Antioch, and he gets confronted by Paul, and the apostle Paul meets him face to face to say, Peter, you are absolutely wrong on this thing. What's the thing? Peter was Jewish, and he loved eating with his Gentile friends. And some legalist in the church came to Peter and said, you can't do that. What do you mean? You can't eat with them. They're dirty. They're unclean. They're not part of the group. Yeah, I won't. And then Peter starts to make a case. And so when he comes to Antioch over this issue, Apostle Paul looks at him and says, Peter, you are absolutely wrong. Here's our last lesson. For as long as you live, as long as you walk with God, faithful people always look to Jesus to help us get it right. Because even faithful people sometimes get it wrong so just know that that's not saying okay go be wrong it means sometimes we get it wrong that's why we look to him so friends don't coast every day follow Jesus when you blow it be people of real faith get back in the game simple faith wins simple faith unlocks the doors to incredible moments and here's my final word so from Peter's life look at your faith And I'm guessing you might say, maybe I do have a strong faith. I think you do. Stand, please. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. I look around this group of people, and I don't see weak faith. I see great faith. Thank you for them. Thank you for your faith in me. I sometimes look at my own life and think, oh, I'm so weak in my faith. But I look at Peter, I'm really encouraged. May we trust you every day in our walk because we still get it wrong. But with you, we get right back in the game. For that person today who needs to know that strong faith is not perfect, but it gets up and gets going. Remind us of that truth. Thank you for inviting us to walk with you. And today, with joy, we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.